Thank you for joining us on the Underdog Podcast, the place where we believe at one point in your life, you were an underdog and overcame adversity. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. I am your boy, Calvin Blackman. And I am Kyle Decker. This episode is powered by the Job Center Staffing. Hey, Black, have you ever seen the movie White Man Can't Jump? Yes, sir, starring Wesley Snipes and Kyle Decker, because we know you can't jump. Wow. Hey, man, you're always sleeping on me. What's up with that? But hey, let's move on. Our guest today is none other than John Brennan the new head coach for the University of Cincinnati men's basketball program. Tell me more. I will, man. Coach Brennan has often been doubted throughout his playing and coaching career, but much like Woody Harrelson's character in the movie, we know he will shock the world with his humble and unique coaching style. Welcome to the UDP, Coach. All right. Well, uh, Coach Brennan, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us here on the Underdog Podcast. Um, coach Brennan is the... New head coach of the UC Bearcats basketball team. Um, and to get us kicked off, um, I will be looking at my phone, but that's not to check text messages. <laughs> it's because I have some notes. But um, there was a, I found a couple of quotes from three different individuals from your past, uh, and I thought were, you know, pretty impactful. Um, Ron Don, Greg White, and Anthony Grant all said that you were the hardest working player ever and it's not even close and I want to just use that as I'd like to you know talk to us a little bit about you know what goes into that work ethic or what has made you you know become the person you are you know starting way back then because obviously these were coaches you had in the past so what made them kind of formulate those thoughts well first of all thanks for having me on you know the concept of the underdog is certainly what I've been my entire career <clears throat> so I'm very excited to be on here with you guys today um, you know, I, I think hard work is the most relative term in English language. I, I think, you know, what hard work means to me may mean something totally different to someone else. And I think exposing our team and the people around you to different ways of doing things and see different people's work ethics can really understand and make you realize what it actually hard work means. Specific to your question, though, those guys were my coaches, so it's, it's an honor to get mentioned like that. Um, you know, I, I was always along the lines that I just didn't feel like I was as talented and, and maybe as good as others, or if I did, I felt like I had to outwork them in every which way. And I think in high school, it was all about, you know, a lot of times maybe you're the best player in your high school team or your grade school team. It's like, well, you know, the other team's going to have a certain defense or two or three guys are going to guard me, so i got to be in better shape than them. And, you know, probably a little bit of fear of failure too, the fear of, you know, of saying, you know, I, I, I want to be successful at this. It's something I'm passionate about. You know, it's a term we use with our guys. Emotion fade fades, passion sustains. So we're a team and, and individuals that want to be really passionate in what we do. And so it started as hard work and then it became, you know, kind of getting comfortable, feeling uncomfortable, you know, meaning if I wasn't working or I wasn't studying or I wasn't doing something, I got uncomfortable with myself and I didn't feel like I was achieving and getting better. And I think once that happened, it literally became my drug, it became my drug of choice. And when it became my drug of choice, I couldn't go a day or two days without either working out or trying to feel like I was getting better in some form or fashion. So I think it started along the lines of maybe just saying, hey, maybe I'm not as talented or started along the lines of, hey, I've got some competition to go against. I'm fear of failure. And then it elevated to, hey, this is, I can't live without it. I can't live without getting better and trying to try to improve at my craft each and every day. And I, and I know we're going to progress and talk more about, you know, your transition and, you know, you becoming the coach here, but, uh, Talk a little bit about, you know, 
when you 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 started out at Morehead State mm-hmm. and then you transferred to Marshall, uh, and Kyle has he had a lot of moves growing up as a kid and has talked about those in previous episodes. But you just talked about being get you know uncomfortable you know being uncomfortable to get comfortable. What was that transition like for you to transfer from Morehead State to a Division One program? Obviously, not knowing anyone, and and what what did that what role has that kind of played as well? So you know you you'll go to every situation, whether it be work or school. You know you don't want to transfer, right? You want to sustain where you're at. You want to be committed and loyal. Uh, I had a, a college coach who was an alcoholic, and I never experienced that before in my life. And uh, his his mood swings and the way I got treated were just so up and down each and every day. I, I never knew where I stood, and it was just a very difficult situation. It was a good man, just to, you know, had had demons. And uh, when I decided to transfer, I didn't know what would be out there for me. I just felt like I needed to, and I, I did in, uh, in December, actually, in the middle of the year. And uh, Billy Donovan, at the time, was the assistant coach at the University of Kentucky. And I had one good half, right? Not a good game. <laughs> I had one good half, and it happened to be against Jamal Mashburn. Oh, wow. So I had like 18 and one half. And it's, it's an interesting story because John Pelfrey was the assistant coach. John Pelfrey's a very successful college coach, been head coach at Arkansas. And I sent a letter, and just back then, you know, you didn't send text messages or emails, you sent letters. So I, I wrote a letter to Marshall saying I was transferring. And John read the letter out loud for some reason, I don't know why. Billy heard the name, and John was like, ah, no big deal, I'm throwing it away. So it, John threw the, the letter in the garbage. Which, had you not, had you seen me play all but that one half, you would have thrown the letter in the garbage. <laughs> but Billy had seen a little bit more than that. So uh, Billy ran in there and said, is that John Brandon at Moorhead? And he was like, yeah. He goes, I got this. And the rest is history. So I went to Marshall and played for Billy for two years. He, he went to Florida. And then I had Greg White come in uh, my senior year, which was another change. And, you know, at, at that time, and you know, you didn't know what change really meant. You just wanted to get out of a bad situation and, uh, and kind of learn from that and try to get better where you're at, I guess. I'm I'm so curious about the foundation or where the things originate. And so where do you attribute, I mean, like to take that step to send that letter is that I know you have, you know, uh, a father, I believe that's been coaching and, and a brother that's a, a really great coach is, and is that the parent foundation of like that blue collar work ethic of, of, um, you know, just asserting yourself, like, where does this originate for you? Is it just natural, right? Or is it, you know, where is it developed over, you know, mentors or, or leadership? It's a great question. So my brother's, my, my brother's a coach. My dad's a small business owner. Okay. And uh, he, the reason I bring that up is because my dad would always say he was in sales. He sold uh, commercial truck tires for his Goodyear store. And one of the things he always told me was like, people don't inherently want to say no, <laughs> right? Right. They, 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 they want to, accommodate they want to please he said so put yourself out there you know go go into situations where people either have to tell you no or work work a way out to get a yes and certainly helped me in recruiting uh, as a coach so that was my thing I picked some schools that I wanted to you know play for or play coaches I wanted to play for and I was aggressively sought after them I didn't feel like I needed my ego stroked or be recruited uh, I just wanted another opportunity and uh, I think that comes to answer your sp- question that comes from my dad instilling that in me at a young age and whether it's verbally I, I think as parents today and as, as, as mentors you know, particularly parents I think you get a chance to model what you do so you know my mom's work ethic of she was in sales and she never told me anything she was an unbelievable mom still is but she stayed up until three o'clock in the morning doing paperwork. So if I woke up in the middle of the night, she was down there working. So they modeled more than they probably articulated to me. Yeah, and, and so you're originally from Newport, right? Yeah. Okay, and born, like just 
Newport, Kentucky. Newport, Kentucky. Yeah, I know some people that listen. We have an audience everywhere. So yeah, Northern Kentucky, and so born and raised. And um, do your parents still live there? They live in Fort Thomas, yeah. They okay, okay. awesome. And then your brother's a coach at Walton. Walton Verona. He just just stepped away this year, but took okay. his team to the uh, Elite Eight last year. Wow, fantastic. So where does if your dad was in sales, where does the the basketball come into play with the family with the with, with you and him? That's a good question. I think he put me he put me to work one day. He had, he had uh, if you guys have seen truck tires on semis, they come up to about if you're about six foot two, they come up to about your waist, right? And he had a flatbed truck. He had about a thousand truck tires laying out. You either burn truck tires or you put them in a flatbed truck and transport them somewhere else. Hit a flatbed truck and you have to pull the truck tire up on your knee, if you can imagine this, flip it up onto the bed, and then you have to jump up on the bed of the truck like you're jumping out of the swimming pool. And you 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 stack the truck tires a certain way to get them to the top. Now, I'm six foot eight and I can stand in a truck in a, in the bed of a, of a of a semi. So it just tells you how high it is. After about filling those up halfway through, I realized that I really wanted to play basketball. <laughs> so uh, this wasn't for me. That was the origination I, I, I was looking I, for. I, I, quit, go. I quit Goodyear, gotcha. uh, the Goodyear store on 3L Highway in Lebanon, Kentucky, and I became a, uh, a wannabe basketball player. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you play, became a great basketball became player. player of the year, right? Um, yeah, I think yeah, something like something that. Like that. Scored a few points. You're a humble guy. I like it. Yeah. Like yeah. Self-aware. No, that's great, and, and and definitely extremely humble here. So then, you know, building your career, as you said, coming from a player, finishing up at Marshall, take us through, um, you know, building your coaching career, where you started, and how you got here. So, like anything else, we all have aspirations to 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 be something, and I was going to be uh, in business. And when I got around Billy, it changed, and he could coach you hard on the court, and then call you up to the office and have recruiting calls with him. And he, I just, I wanted to be him. Right. You know, it was, it was, you know, we don't have aha moments, but I can remember the night where it was just like, okay, I want to do what he does. Okay. And which is, I wanted to coach, but first I wanted to finish playing. So I, I got done with the, as you mentioned, player of the year. So I thought, well, I'm destined for the NBA. So I kept waiting for them to call and, <laughs> you know, I didn't get any tryouts and I didn't get any phone calls. So I went overseas and played for a few years and, uh, not a lot of money, but just an opportunity to be a professional basketball player. And then my second year overseas, uh, I walked in, we were having a workout in the States and I had an agent at the time and uh, I said, I'm going to get into coaching, I think. And he was like, we've got some teams that want to sign you. And I'm like, yeah, I want to get into coaching. I don't want to be 35 and trying to become a first year assistant. I want to be 35 or 40 and be a head coach. So got into coaching. Um, first job, $0. Second job, $7,000. Third job, 13. And where were those at? Those were at uh, University of Charleston. Uh, I worked for a guy named Jason G., who I've hired here at the University of Cincinnati. I've hired him for more money than he hired me for, zero dollars. Uh, and then Eastern Kentucky University with Travis Ford. So I coached Division Two football for for four years, three and a half years. Uh, made eleven thousand bucks. What was that first year like when you first got into the game and you were putting? Because I know the hours that you put in are, you know, I know in football you're, you know, you're at six a.m. and you're home at midnight yeah. uh and i would assume because a lot of people don't i know i don't understand the science of basketball and what really goes into having a successful program and getting players ready to play what was that first year like for you uh as you transitioned from playing into the coaching yeah, another great question it's very much is a transition because you you see the game in the eyes that you saw it as a player and you really have to adjust your spectrum and your your lens into the eyes of 13 other players that you're coaching. Um, it was awesome. I mean, I lived in a dorm, and then I moved into a basement of a buddy's house, and I loved every minute of it. Stayed up all night trying to figure things out, didn't know how to recruit, didn't know how to coach, and learned on the fly. Uh, 
And that's the best part about not getting paid because the guy you work for, when you're learning on the fly, you can mess up as much as you want, right? Right. You really can't hold too much <laughs> over your head. So you just dive all in and you just keep getting better and getting better and getting better through screwing up. Did you, let me ask you this, and this is kind of a side note. Did you have to do like dumb reports sometimes where you're like, why does a coach even want this report? And he never even looked at it. Never. You get that feeling. Yeah, I always make sure I look at all the reports I ask my guys to do. There's certainly a feeling of that. It's kind of like you're, uh, you're, you're, you're buying your time. Doing some busy work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You do okay. feel like that initially. Yeah. <clears throat> Coach Blackman, you know, we're bringing some out. of the coaches out. There you out. Go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, I didn't coach, but, you know, been part of trying to build an organization. So speaking upon building a program, let's get to – North Kentucky. Let's focus on that for a second because you built a great program at that university um, and here locally as well. Talk us how you built that program. Well, I think like anything else, you know, there's no original thoughts in our business. I mean, I I don't, I don't, I don't have any original thoughts. I've stolen everything from other people and learned from all the different coaches I've worked for. So you take the Anthony Grants, the Travis Fords, you know, the Billy Donovans, Jason G's of the world, the guys that I've worked for, and you have a blueprint on how to run a program, right? And then you got to put your charisma, your communication skills, your work ethic into it. So I already knew how to run it, how I wanted the program to look like um, because of those guys. So, you know, the other reason, a big part of why we had success, then you go out and you try to figure out how to hire the best staff possible. And it's interesting you mentioned being on your phone and looking at your notes. I'll never forget first year managing a, a staff. They all had their phones out and they were never in their office. And, and I was like, guys, you got to stop bringing your phones in to meetings. You're not paying attention. It's like, no, coach, we got our notes on our phone. I'm like, well, you guys got to start being in your office more. Yeah, coach, we don't use landlines. We use our phones. We can go wherever we want. So I had to learn how to remanage. <laughs> like, it's like, well, I'm, I'm doing it. So I was a horrible boss. I mean, a horrible the first year. My point being is I, I learned and adapted and, and got better each and every year. And like anything else, we signed really good players. Yep. We had a great facility. We are in an area with great coaches, high school coaches. And I felt like we had a blueprint for how we wanted to play and what would be successful. And uh, we won three straight titles. And the, the, the freshman class that came in three years ago, is, this year they'll be trying to get their fourth ring. So a lot of pride went into it. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, talking about sustaining excellence and, and building it, that's a pretty good blueprint that you've created. So, Well, I didn't create it. Well, you, you created it with great, great people around you. And we always talk about that too. And I think that's, we have that college background with great coaches that we institute a lot of their uh, principles into our business is circle your, I'm never, remember, always never forget. It was Coach Hepner, our former coach, uh, the late Terry Hepner, that circle yourself with better. He's like, my assistants here are better and smarter than me. And I think that's something I've tried to do. I don't know if Calvin's smarter than me, but um, needless to say, you know, debatable. We, debatable. We got a few but, more minutes left. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, better watch out. He has a right hook over there. Um, so building, okay, so you built obviously that there with with that formula that you've learned from a lot of great people around you. Uh, how has it been so far here in, in Cincinnati? Well, it's you know, it's I tell people all the time, being from this area, if you want to meet for dinner or lunch, or we got any, I can. You don't have to give me directions. As soon as I get on campus, you got to give me directions. I don't, I don't know where to, exactly everything is. So it's like any other thing. You're hitting the ground running. You're learning all the dynamics, the, the red tape that takes place in a university setting. Uh, but I've been on the job just over 120 days, and it's been it's been really good. You know, I think when you take over a college job, you focus on three things. At least I did. Uh, you focus on your current players. Uh, you focus on building a staff. 
because your staff's going to be ultimately what builds the culture of your program. And you focus on recruiting and getting the brand out there. Uh, and we're just now getting to the basketball piece of things and, and, and the, the, the outreach things in terms of the community. So that's been my focus. Um, it's been good because my family's right next door. So I can you know see them as much as I need to, but also getting the job done here. So it's been fun. It's been great wearing that CPA on the chest and going nationally and selling this brand. Now, what have you learned from you know, you're, when you were the interim head coach at Alabama and then obviously through NKU, and then you, you take this, this position at, at UC, um, which is obviously a step up from, from NKU, uh, you know, there's the adversity. There are, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a transition for you, obviously, going to the next level. And then there's the noise in the media that you can't ever ignore. What have you learned or what are you, what are you expecting to kind of bring to the table, um, you know, to the UC program? Well, I want to bring, you know, this is a culture of championship caliber program. So we, we always say we want to build a, a team of uh, championship caliber people that win championships. And uh, that's what we want to do first and foremost. Uh, we want to have championship caliber people that compete for championships. And it's really important that we do that consistently. I think we'll bring a style of play that uh, I haven't seen here before in terms of the pace and the way we want to play, which is a challenge right now for our current guys because it's something they haven't done. So there's a challenge in preparation. Uh, I feel like any team's an extension of their head coach's personality, so we'll need to continue to recruit to that and continue to develop it within our organization. Uh, you know, if I had put three words on it, it'd be our core values. We want to trust at a high level. That's believing and investing without knowing the outcome. And uh, we want to have toughness, uh, more mental than anything, but I think you got to recruit to that. And then we got to have a level of sacrifice. Can we get our 18 to 22 year olds to make it about the person to our right and to our left? Can, can we get 18 mm-hmm. to 22 year olds to take on a, the mentality of a parent where you, know, you, you care more about the success of those around you than you do yourselves, which means basically you've gotten over yourself a little bit and it allows you to freeze you up to be your best. So that's the culture we're trying to build. Uh, it's not built overnight. Uh, it's, and again, culture doesn't mean you got to, the other culture wasn't good. The other culture was great, but each coach brings in a different culture. So uh, that's something that, that, you know, our program is going to go through a transition phase. And you've, you've um, from at least from the, the rankings that I've heard from a recruiting perspective, brought in some really good recruits um, or that will be coming onto campus. What is your, I mean, your effectiveness at recruiting quickly? I know that's not easy. Yeah. Um, you know, what are some of the, the things that you've been able to do quickly? Is it just building relationships with these these guys or is it the, the, the network you've created? Like what, what all goes into landing a top, you know, 50 recruit or two top 100 recruits? I think exactly what you said, both. It takes, you know, it takes a connective network of people you trust. And, you know, I tell people this all the time. When you take over an organization, particularly in basketball, there's, you get a thousand phone calls and text messages, but I, I'm convinced there's only about five that are needle moving phone calls. And what I mean by that is you get phone calls from people that care more about your success than the person they're calling about. So the, the person, the recruit they're trying to sell to you or the coach they're trying to sell to you or the opportunity they're trying to sell to you. When, when somebody on the other line cares about more about your success than the person they're calling about, I listen. And we have that in one of our top 50 kids. I, the person on the other line knew him really well, and he cared, and, and I felt like he cared about my success as much. And uh, so that was a big piece of it. The other piece is I, I'm a firm believer that when we're in a house or we're in a home or they come on campus, I'm, I'm going to walk out of that house, and they're going to initially think one of two things, either, and this is no disrespect to this industry, you're either a used car salesman 
right? And I don't mean anything by that other than the fact that they, you know, you, you didn't really want to connect. You were just in it for yourself. Or, you know, I want to get to know that person a little bit more. I think there's some depth there. And one of the terms we, we talk about is parents and recruits are more interested in the depth of your conviction than by the height of your logic. So think about that for a second. You're more convinced in the depth of your conviction and what you're most convicted about than by the height of your logic and all the numbers you can throw at them. So I want them to feel when I leave a living room that, wow, he's really convicted about Cincinnati basketball and about his values and about the values of his program. I think, too, that goes down the line of having, you know, been recruited and recruiting. Like you, when these kids come on campus, they are going to be your responsibility for the next four years and we talk about turning student athletes into you know young men or young women and developing them um, and I think that's something that you know we take for granted uh, you know a lot of times in my personal opinion I think coaches are leaders that don't get enough credit for what they do with a lot of young people um, and so from that angle you know what are your thoughts on you know a lot of times parents on the outside don't see what goes in once their kid gets here they're like okay like I see their games on Saturdays, and I know we had this conversation earlier, but talk a little bit about what goes behind the scenes right now. You're not in season. People think you're just hanging out probably playing golf, but what, what's going on right now is you're getting ramped up for your first season here at UC. So um, another insightful question that people think that you know we just chill in the offseason. <laughs> um, culture building. So as soon as I'm done here, I'm meeting with an organization that's going to help us build the culture of our program. Um, you know, putting advocates in our players' lives, um, constantly striving. You know, we, we talk about the total development of the student athlete. Right now, I'm, I'm immersed in the total development of our players from a basketball standpoint. I'm watching a lot of film right now, and from a standpoint of a culture development when they get back to campus. That's investing in them, investing in them, investing in them. How to do that in an efficient way, in a way that gets through to them so it's not just Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 like they've heard it before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more along the lines of, hey, what, what, what can we get better at and how are we going to get better? That's all I think about. And uh, particularly this time of year, that's really the focus level. And then you have different times of the year, right? A month ago, it was all about recruiting. And it's still, it's about recruiting every day. Um, you know, I, for me, I've got a lot of media things that I've got to do. I've got to do different um, speaking engagements and different things to promote the brand of Cincinnati basketball. Hang out with the underdog podcast. Hang out with the underdog podcast. <laughs> so your, favorite, I, your favorite interview. That's right? what I was getting got at. I'll let you guys kind of pick up on that. <laughs> so, you know, the bottom line is there's a, a lot that goes into it. Um, but the, as long as I center the day around the total development of our players and how to invest in them, then I feel like I've, I've accomplished something that day. So what, what, type of, um, what type of relationship do you have with your players once they graduate, once you've kind of developed them into men? What type of relationship do you usually carry with those guys? So I'll answer in the story. Um, at NKU, I, we got a chance to go to two NCAA tournaments, won three straight championships, They've never done it before. It's never been done in the history of college basketball that quickly when a team goes to Division Two to Division One. So in- inevitably, the question is, Coach, what was the most pride, pride you had in the program, building the championship? Everybody's going to think winning the championships. Without question, it's not even a close second, it's that one of my players is invited me to his wedding, like wants me to be a part of his wedding. You know, I, I, they don't have any children yet, but once they do, I think I'll be one of the first phone calls. To me, that's where it's at. That and two of my players that graduated from there were both, one of them was the one getting married, were both from far distances away and they're keeping their home in this area. That, that's what excites me. That, that, that's what fires me up each and every day to know those guys have, were connected enough or they got connected to the university enough to make this place their home. That's better than any championships. Because what the championships evolve, that evolves into the, the, the finality or the, the result of the relationships that 
a guy staying here for going to his wedding or getting a phone call when he has his first child, that's how you build championships, yeah. right? So the championships is just a result of that. Yeah. And we talk about this too. We've talked about like the the foundation that you build with these kids and then, you know, with us folks both being former athletes, you know, what that carryover looks like, the principles and the things that they're learning, the philosophies that you're teaching right now, the the accountability that they have to do with getting up early in the morning, you know, those are things that carry over, you know, well beyond, you know, 10, 10 12, 15 years down the road. Uh, I tell our guys all the time, not to interrupt you, is no, it's, yeah. the hardest thing that you'll do is get up every day and look at your kids and realize you got to provide for them. Like, that's my responsibility. They can't feed themselves. They can't bathe themselves yet. They can't educate themselves. I got to do it. Yeah. And uh, that's way harder than getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning and running sprints. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, 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 we're struggling right as uh, dads. I don't know how old your kids are for sure, but like any dad advice? It's kind of change the, <laughs> change the terrible. Yeah. So a, oh, my, my. I, I have a four. I'll just phrase it this way. I have a, a two boys. I have soon to, soon to be four and one that's one. And, and three uh, and two. And he's three and two. And yeah, we're just girls or boys. boys. And it's a grind right a now. Girls, three and a boy who's two. My, my advice would be this. This is what I told my wife. I got twin, I got girls. Okay. I said, I'll take the first 10. You take the second 10. For boys, I'd flip it. <laughs> 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 she didn't go for either one of them. <laughs> that's great right, so advice. You have two, you have two girls. I have two uh, 13 year old girls. Oh, man. That is that definitely is. great advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, the sleepless nights. And, uh, yeah, if work isn't keeping me up, typically it's the, the one year old right now. So it's like sleep regression. So I don't know if you remember those days. I but. do. What will happen is you won't remember the first year or two. And all we had was twins. Okay. Coach Fickle's got two sets of twins. Yeah. 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 He's got six, I think. Yeah, he's got yeah. six. I've met. I mean, you can choose what you want to do there. I mean, <laughs> we, we, the Brandons chose we're going to stop at Twins. That's what we so. stopped at two as well. Yeah. yeah. How, how, speaking of Coach Fickle, um, obviously it's football right around the corner. How important it is is it to have, I know you didn't have this at North Kentucky, but now being new and seeing obviously the success of the UC football, how is that to help recruiting and, and, and all that? Well, I was at Alabama for six years. Well, okay. Coach yeah, Saban, yeah, that's so <laughs> I got a chance that's to the really ultimate, experience yeah. it there. And Coach Fickle actually runs his program very similar. Yeah. I mean, he's elite. I mean, we're we're blessed to have him here, very lucky to have him here. Um, he gets it, he understands it, he makes it about the players. Uh, him and I have had multiple conversations. He's been extremely gracious to me. I went up to higher ground, spent some time. I, I think football coaches get it at a higher level than basketball coaches in terms of their ability to run an organization with you know, 20 times more people, their, their, their organization and how they maximize the time they have is something that uh, we've really, I've based our program on Alabama football and a lot of the quality control stuff that they do. And I see a lot of the same stuff in Coach Fickle's program. Okay. Hey, what did you, anything else from Coach Saban? Obviously, I, I love um, following someone that has had the success he's had and I've tried to engage with as much content. What is something maybe that's not out there that is a, a discipline that you've learned from him that uh, has really helped you? Uh, the way he manages his staff and the way he holds them accountable and the way they do it in a, in a way that is systematic in its approach, but flexible in terms of its execution. Okay. And uh, it's easy to say in words, but he could be CEO of General Motors. Right. And not miss a beat. Uh, just his ability to communicate his message and be able to be consistent with that is 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 unbelievable. It's 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 unparalleled. And uh, when you watch it and you see it on a daily basis, like I did, you gain an unbelievable respect for it. And then to watch it sustained, because you know Coach Saban's whole thing is it's human nature to take dips, right? It's human nature to take back, take a deep breath, and kind of look and see what you've accomplished. And uh, he doesn't let anybody in his organization do that. Yeah, we need to convince Coach Saban to come run the job center. You think we can make that happen, Calvin? 
I like you. I like you. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Saban, Kyle Decker. Good answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll say something different off camera, though. <laughs> What's your toughest challenge, uh, would you say, uh, taking over the UC program? Well, I think, you know, the fact that the expectations, nine straight NCAA tournaments, you know, Coach Cronin did an unbelievable job. And, you know, with the completely different style of play that I'm going to do. So, you know, I've got a group of men in that locker room who've won championships doing it one way, and they've got a coach that's won championships doing it another way. You can't do it both ways. <laughs> you definitely can't. Now, do you have any relationship with Coach Cronin? Obviously, I know coaching is a fraternity. Yeah, no, I've known Mick for years, and uh, you know, he's you know, whenever you take over a program, you coaches think that we get to sit down for dinner and talk about my you know the program we left, and you just don't have time. I mean, yeah. he's immersed in you know making UCLA the best it can be, and he'll do a phenomenal job at that. And I'm doing the same here at Cincinnati. When when the two both teams were actually inside, for those that don't know, were inside of. Um, your arena in Northern Kentucky for a year, right? Did you ever think about, um, I actually was thinking about this the other day. Did you ever think about, you know, potentially being the UC coach as you guys were kind of crossing paths? Maybe, I don't know, maybe you didn't cross paths because no, you guys had games on different days, yeah. but I don't know if you had practice when they were coming in, but that's a great question for Mike Bone because they'll, they'll tell you I was a pain in the tail. I, I, I was totally against Cincinnati moving to our facility. Yeah. So it's a good part about me. I'll just tell you the truth all the time. I'm pretty, uh, pretty transparent. I didn't want UC to come in our facility because we just played Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. We were building our own brand. And I didn't want the Cincinnati brand to overshadow our brand in our small little community. So I fought it. Obviously, didn't win it. Uh, but one of the things I did, I didn't want their, the floor, the UC floor on there. Now, I'm answering this question. I, if I had thought about being the UC coach, I probably would have given, given in everything, right? <laughs> sure, put, bring in everything you want to bring in. But I wasn't thinking that. I was where my feet were and trying to make NKU's program the best. And it's interesting because Mike... My current boss found, found a great deal of respect in that. Like he felt, he's like, oh, that guy's competitive. You know, yeah. He's going to fight for his kids. He's going to fight for his brand. He's going to fight for his institution. Yeah. And uh, so I think at the end of the day, they were phenomenal. I mean, we never crossed paths. Coach Cronin told me he'd never have shoot around there. Only games, that's exactly what we did. We never crossed paths. The only issue I had was the huge fan base of Cincinnati. Every time I tried to pull out of the arena, if I got stuck on the office a little bit late, I had to fight traffic. Other than that, I was good. Yeah, I mean, we we interviewed Mike earlier, and and now I can see why you guys are such a good fit together. Um, you know, he's all in, high, you know, energy. Like you said, you're just all in. You can feel it. And then, you know, what's important to you in developing young men and and the morals and and what's after. I love the comment of, um, you know, what's important to you and going to the wedding. And I remember inviting my old coach to the wedding, and I know that meant a lot to him. And developing and, and seeing success. Um, in in basketball and out of basketball so that's to me what it's all about and i'm glad to hear yeah that's what's i most think it's our responsibility i tell recruits all the time i'm i'm responsible for co-authoring two careers for you one's an nba career because if you put on a university of cincinnati jersey you should have aspirations to go to the league two is a post nba career because an nba career you're going to last till 28 29 30 unless you're making kd money or steph money we need to get a job so am i putting advocates in your life you know am i putting people in your life that can shape you in terms of your business perspective or invest in your business or hire you as an executive or get you started in whatever you want to do. If I'm not doing that during the course of your career, then I'm not doing my job. So that automatically is going to make this a 50-year relationship, right? Yeah. Because I'm going to invest in you for your post-career. And uh, that's the message we try to get across to our guys. I think that's interesting that you said that because uh, not every kid's going to make it to the NBA, but the fact that you put that in their mind that – when you put this uniform on, that's what you should aspire to be. Now, whether that happens or not 
you know, you know, time will tell. But I think that's just a very interesting take uh, because you, did you probably have did you have the same philosophy when you were at NKU with those guys? No, no, not not as much from an NBA perspective, but just to maximize their career and do the best they could. Um, but I, you know, I'd be selling our program short here if I didn't have right. those expectations. We have fifty eight NBA draft picks, um, but with the, <laughs> with, with, with the with the project and with the caveat of saying, okay, there's a post-basketball career. Mm -hmm. So if it's not a post-basketball career after the NBA, then it's a post-career after college basketball or a post-career after overseas basketball. Whatever it is, we're co-authoring it together and I need to be a part of that and I need to make sure I'm putting people in your life. Because the the thing that's the the toughest is you get a former player who doesn't know what to do when when his career's over. And I think that's the job of a coach in the four years that you have him, uh, if you have him for that long. Yeah, and we've seen, and not to go off on on this subject too much, but Guys, I, I love that you have that philosophy because there's guys that we in heart in football you have larger classes, so it's a little bit probably harder for a coach. But we've seen guys either go one or two ways in, in some bad ways, and it's not been good, or have taken that step and, and learned from those coaches and the the support that's gone from there. So I think once again, more kudos to you and how you're building your brand. One of the last questions um, I have is, who do you think would win between Calvin and I in one on one game to ten? You know what I've learned this over my 25 years of coaching plus. <laughs> I've learned football players love to play basketball and basketball players don't want to play football. This is very well, you know very I mean? true. I mean, but, but, and we learned Randy Moss, to... we learned before this, we learned Randy Moss left football practice to go play pickup basketball. Yeah, he <laughs> lo- we do all love to play basketball. You guys always can find a pickup game. I guess it's hard to find a flag football game or a tackle football game. So for me, I'll just tell you, playing wide receiver was much easier than going out trying to get a ball hey. through five guys and get it. I think I was think more of a player answer. like wide receiver in what position? I was quarterback. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you probably don't look like it. Most now, wide but. receivers make pretty pretty good small forwards. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, I was a lot like John in, in I think growing up, like just scrappy, got it done, figured it out. So I, here's a, here's my I, last question: Better basketball player, yourself. Jason Williams or Randy Moss? <laughs> <laughs> Jason Williams, me, Randy Moss. Uh, All right. I like it. All right. I hope Randy listens. Yeah, I like it. the tag. tag. Yeah, hey, but he was, he's a Hall of Fame NFL football player. Yeah, so it reminds me of myself on the field. And John was dropping 18 and a half against Jamal Mashbourne or whatever. <laughs> that's so right. That's, that's, right. that's yeah. a pretty good ball player. Yeah. So <laughs> I think he, he, had, uh, he, did, he did well for himself. So, well, on behalf of uh, the Underdog Podcast, I know you're extremely busy and um, your time is very, very thankful, and and we're so excited that you're here. That you've, um, like you said, you're kind of the epitome of the underdog. That's why we we're so excited to have this opportunity. Because, and then to hear it verbally from you, obviously, is the most important to us. But what a story! What a um, uh, aspirate, you know, inspiration to everyone that's you know part of this program to see you here. And I can't wait to see what what's going to you know do moving forward. So well, I love the concept, guys. I love the outreach that you have in terms of putting people in position, and it's the best way to learn. And it's, it's today's generation to learn listening instead of necessarily reading all the time. So if I can help in any way, that's great. But what you guys are doing, you're 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 moving the needle. So I'm appreciative of what you're doing in our community. Yeah, oh, thank you for appreciate so, it. Thank yeah, you, folks. Appreciate Thanks, it. Guys. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.